0: Um, it is so good to be here with you all, uh, Dave, thank you for that, uh, yes, my name's Kyle, uh, before I get into anything, this is very odd, I'm so sorry, does anyone in here have any cash, I, I, (laughs) plenty, there we go, someone right here, perfect, yeah, like, what is it, 20, it could be a 50, but 20, thank you, I appreciate it, uh, I love this church, this is a great place. Um I appreciate that. Al, right? We we met earlier. This is awesome. I talked to the right person. Uh well, I'm so happy to be here. My name's Kyle Pitchford and uh I am a pastor across town at Twin Lakes. Um, I get to do college young adult ministry, which is, I I absolutely love to do, but um as uh just kind of a, a brief intro, I have uh, my lovely wife Jessica's here with me. This is my wife Jessica. <laughs> She is my best friend. She's uh just a sweet gift to me and uh yeah, just represents Jesus in my life every day and and points me towards him. So I'm so thankful for her. And we have two wonderful kids. I didn't bring a photo. I don't know what I was thinking, but normally I would have a photo, but Lucy and Owen, they're up in the kids ministry room right now and loving it, I'm sure. Um and then also with us we have my father-in-law, Rudy, my wife's uh father and he's visiting from Southern California and uh He's a, a great blessing to us as well as a minister himself and just someone that I, I look up to and respect very much. So I am thrilled to be here uh, as CLC over the 20 plus years that I've been in Santa Cruz. I have just heard so many things about what God is up to through this congregation and, um, and it's exciting and it's amazing. And I, I really do feel humbled to be here to get the chance to speak to all of you. Um, as I, I know there are people in this room that have been walking with the Lord longer than me that I can learn from so much, and so it's truly humbling, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, uh, I believe He's been at work in me as as I've prepared what to share and prayed about what to share, and so I am excited. And uh before we get right into that, I just want to say I am so thrilled that my friend Chris Chavez is pastoring here. He loves... Yeah, we can do it. So... One, he trusts me to come up here and speak, which uh, I don't know. That was an iffy call on his part. But uh, but he, I know, loves the Lord. He has been a mentor of mine for many years. He gave me my first ministry job full-time in Lodi, California, where I grew up. Um, he came to Santa Cruz, and, and I got to go and be a youth pastor uh, for a handful of years. And that hasn't stopped uh, even just this past week. We met up before about kind of what I was... Where I was feeling led to go with the sermon and he was encouraging me and and not just in this Sunday service but in other ministry uh, things going on. And so I, I greatly appreciate his friendship and mentorship and uh, I'm excited for his part in this church because I, I know he loves the Lord and is a great leader. So um, I'm going to pray because I need all the prayer I can get and uh, then we'll we'll get into what we're talking about this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I uh, I know we are kind of divided up into little local churches and outposts all over Santa Cruz County and all over the globe, really. But, Lord, we are one church. So I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that the, the church isn't the buildings, it's it's the body of believers. God, may we be encouraged this morning by your word. May we be challenged by your word. Uh, And may it just draw us closer to you. That's what we want in the end, God, to be made more and more like Christ. And so we just give this time to you. I pray that you speak through me, Lord, and that you would open our hearts and minds to what it is you have for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So it wasn't long after I graduated college that I finally had saved up enough money to buy my dream vehicle. It was a Honda Elite scooter. This is not my exact one, but mine was that color. And I I thought it, I didn't have the racing number on mine, but you better believe me, mine was fast. It could have raced anyone. I went about 35 miles an hour with the wind at my back downhill. It was sweet. I had surf racks on the side and a, a milk crate on the back for my wetsuit. It's the best vehicle for Santa Cruz. Good gas mileage. And zip down to the beach. If there's traffic, it's easy. And uh, it, it was really, really sweet. But what I realized after I got my scooter is that I needed a motorcycle license to drive it. And so I went to the DMV and I took the motorcycle uh, driving test and I uh, the the written test and I passed. And then came time for the driving test. And I was quickly reminded of a principle that I learned riding a bicycle as a kid, and that is it's a whole lot harder to turn on two wheels when you're not going fast, right? You need momentum to lean into turns. And the test was a series of cones a few feet apart, and you have to weave the cones on your scooter and then go around a loop and then weave them coming back. Now, again, I'm pretty new to driving this thing. I had just purchased it, and I remember I made the first few pretty good, but I'm kind of doing this thing with this handlebars which is not a good look or way to turn a scooter and I'm kind of we I weave a couple of them and then I hit one or two cones and I'm like maybe I could still pass and then I go around the loop and then this is where I really lost and I ended up in the flower bed and I'm kind of doing this and then I swerve back onto the course and I I made the last cone and I pulled up only to see the instructor with his clipboard head down and he's shaking laughing At how poorly I just did, and he's shaking, and when he finally composes himself, he looks up very calm and he says, you can begin when you're ready. That's a whole other sermon illustration about grace. Um, But he allowed me a second opportunity, and I passed, barely, Um, but I did. I, I, I figured it out, and I didn't go into the flower bed, and it was awesome. But this continued on to the first few months of having my license uh, on the open road. I remember being so fearful, I don't know why, of a left-hand turn from a stoplight because the right-hand turn, it's like, I'm not crossing any traffic. It's easy. But if I had to turn left, you're sitting there and you're just thinking, I don't want to go into the wrong lane and hit that car. So I would typically go wide and then I'd get near the sidewalk. And if there's pedestrians, that's not good. You guys are like, I'm never, if I ever see a yellow scooter, I'm not, I don't have it anymore. I got rid of it for everyone's safety. But I remember a friend of mine who wrote a Harley Davidson telling me when I was talking about this, he goes, dude, your problem is before you ever start going from that stoplight, you need to focus on the position that you want to go. He says, look at that center line, go about three or four feet into your lane, find a spot on the ground and keep your eyes on it. And When the light turns green, as you accelerate, just keep your eyes there and you will move towards what you're focused on. We, we all kind of understand this concept, I think, even in driving on four wheels in a car. If you start looking off to the side of the road, what happens? You typically start to do this, right? It's just a little more exaggerated on two wheels. But this principle, how many of you know, is also true in our lives. The things that we put our focus on is what we begin to move towards. Jesus addresses this concept in the passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible and want to open up, we're going to be in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. And this is a a part of Scripture we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so I just want to um, give a little context just so we're aware of kind of what's going on if we aren't, because we're jumping in mid-Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's called the Twelve up to a hillside. But we know from chapter 4 of Matthew that there is a large crowd also there. In chapter 4, verse 25, it tells us there's a large crowd from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region all across the Jordan that were following him. And so Jesus has his disciples and this large crowd. And based on the description of where they come from, it's fair to assume a few things about this large crowd. One, the motivation for why they're there is probably a mixed bag. Like, there are probably some there that heard about the miracle worker Jesus and they want to catch a glimpse of a miracle. It's probably fair to assume that there are some there who have heard about the miracle worker Jesus and they want to be part of the miracle. Maybe they've got a hardship or a struggle or something they're like, I need something. There are those who are probably there because they are hungry for Jesus' teaching and the authority by which he speaks. While others are there to trap Jesus in his words and catch him or manipulate his words to get him in trouble and point out that he is a quote unquote false teacher. It's fair to assume that's the motivation of this mixed group of people. It's also fair to assume that in this crowd, there a crowd this large, there are people who are healthy, there are people who are wealthy, There are people who are successful, there are the religious elite, the important people are all there, and at the same time, there's people who are sick, there are people who are poor, there are people who are outcasts, the lesser type people in their culture. And it's this mixed group of people, and Jesus begins his sermon, and he begins by giving hope to the hopeless. And he's taking the norms of the time, and flipping them upside down in a way only Jesus can do. And so, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and today's message is titled, A Life Invested or A Life Spent. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus speaking, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. They either will hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So right out of the gate, Jesus is addressing this concept of earthly treasure and heavenly treasure, and he's kind of highlighting them. Now again, remember in the crowd, there are important people who have a lot of earthly wealth. Earthly stuff, success, all those things. And Jesus is addressing those people, and he's saying, in the kingdom of God, those things actually aren't as important as you're making them. They don't really matter that much. And again, this is upsetting to the people who have much, right, who have the status. But Jesus isn't afraid of calling that out. And he's letting them know that in his eyes, it doesn't really matter. And the reason is that stuff will fade. uh, uh, Heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. Again, I threw a very quick list up here that I'm sure all of you could fill in more than just this. But, But earthly treasures are things like money, finances, wealth. Things like our stuff, materialism, acquiring more of all we can get. Earthly success, whatever that looks like. But the problem is... That Those things are temporary. Jesus says those things aren't going to last. Whereas heavenly treasure, things like being people of love, that's what Jesus taught. Be loving to the people around you. Love your enemies. He said some bizarre things in their day, some bizarre things in our day. Like love the people around you. Have healthy relationships. Seeking godly character. That's what it looks like. And again, there's many more than just that, but a small sample of what it looks like to live into Kingdom stuff, heavenly treasures, and those things are eternal. That's what Jesus said at the start. Moth and rust won't destroy those things. So Jesus' main point right here out of the gate is do not let your focus be on temporary things. Don't let your focus be on the temporary things. Because again, like I started with that scooter illustration, when we're focused on the temporary things, that's where we tend to move towards. We veer towards it. This reminds me of a story I heard a number of years back of a man who was on his deathbed and he had three adult sons and and he called his sons into his bedroom one day and he said, boys, I think, I think the time's coming. And they said, no dad, like you've been, you've been fighting. You're doing great. And he says, I know. And I'm going to keep fighting, but I just want to make a last request while I still can, while I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough to just talk with you and have an honest conversation. They said, whatever it is, dad, whatever you need, We're there, and he said, I I want you to each give me $10,000 in my coffin when I die. And the boy's kind of like, okay. Yeah, sure, Dad. Whatever you need. And so, sure enough, the dad's uh, uh, instinct was was correct, and a, a few weeks later, he passed away. And at his memorial, there's an open casket. And after everyone who was at the service approaches and says their last words, the last three people are the sons. And the first son approaches the casket and comes to his dad and he looks down and and he says, dad, I'm going to miss you so much. He leans over and he kisses his dad on the forehead and he reaches into his pocket and he grabs the $10,000 cash and he puts it in the casket with his dad. And he honors the request of his dad. The second son approaches similarly weeping, though, and uh, kind of holds his dad's body and and lays his head down and as he's crying he just thanks his dad over and over and over again for everything and he says I'm going to miss you dad and he pulls out $10,000 cash and puts it in the casket and then the third son approaches and has some words for his dad as well dad we're going to miss you thanks for everything you taught me thanks for the wisdom you imparted on me the way you took care of us I love you dad And then the son reaches into his pocket and grabs a check for $30,000 and places it in the casket and grabs the 20000 cash and puts it in his pocket and walks away. I like that story. The dad really did impart wisdom to that third son, didn't he? It's funny because it's true. The dad has no need for that money. He can't do anything with it. Because it's temporary, it's of this world, not a heavenly treasure. It reminds me of the old saying where, uh, the old quote where it's, uh, you're never going to find a, uh, a U-Haul following a hearse, right? You can't take that stuff with you. And so we need to remember that those things are temporary. Instead, what Jesus is telling us here is that we need to focus on eternal things. We need to keep our eyes and our heart on eternal things. The things that are going to go beyond this world that will last. And it's here that if I'm being really honest, just as a human who's sinful by my own human nature or sinful nature, I, I, I kind of wrestle with this sometimes. Or maybe I try to justify sometimes like, but God's grace is big enough. Right? He's, his mercy's new every day. What if I pursued or went after the earthly stuff? It can be fun. It sounds awesome at times. What if I went after that stuff or I valued that stuff just for a while? And then I can focus on the eternal stuff later, right? He's going to forgive me. Well, the Apostle Paul, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of holes with that thinking. The Apostle Paul would say, because God is gracious, should we just sin all the more? No way. That's foolishness. Also, we're not promised tomorrow. So to live any moment for things that are fleeting and fading, why would we ever waste our time? Instead, we need to keep our focus on eternal things. But I think that Jesus here in this passage in verse 21 tells us the biggest reason why we shouldn't do that. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, uh, a foundational concept of Scripture, of the story of what God did for us, is, is the foundational principle is the grace of God. That we are saved by grace. Nothing we could do to earn it. We can't pay it back. It was all a gift because God loves us. And he died for my sin knowing, or died for all of our sin, knowing that some would reject him. But that's his grace. And it is absolutely free. And if you're here and you're new to church, you're like, well, okay, what are we talking about? This is offered to you, relationship with Jesus, the free gift of God by grace. You don't have to find race an eraser and erase your past before you come to Jesus. Jesus says, come as you are, because I love you where you are. But God's grace is free through Jesus. But following Jesus will cost us everything. And this is something that I don't want to miscommunicate. Salvation is free by the grace of God. Nothing we did earn, but following him will cost us something. That's why Jesus says things like, pick up your cross and follow me. That's why Jesus says, whoever wants to gain their life will lose it for my sake. Right? When we follow Jesus becoming disciples or the church, as the church... Every day I have a tug of war going on with the spirit of God that lives in me. Thank you, Jesus. And my flesh. The, the, the sin in me that wants to do it my way. And says, But that other stuff looks like a, a fun thing to, to pursue or go after. But here's the deal. God is concerned with our heart. God doesn't need our money. He wants your heart. The whole thing. That's what it costs us when we surrender lordship to him. But we have to understand that our heart follows our investments. Our heart will follow our investments. Think about it this way. If you're driving down the street in your neighborhood and you see a rundown, beat-up house that maybe catches your attention, you're like, oh, that house is kind of worn out, but well, you're not going to do anything about it. Now, if you purchase that house, now you've invested in it, I think you have a little more, uh, uh, you have more invested and therefore you care about what that house looks like a little more than you did previously, correct? Because when we invest in something, our heart follows it. My friend Jeff Moores, he's a pastor in Oceanside, California. He says this, I, I, I'm quoting him here. He says, we think that our money follows our heart that what we care about we will have no problem giving to but it's actually quite the opposite where we put our money is what we start to care about god doesn't need our money but he wants our hearts god wants my whole heart that's why in verse 22 and down and and to the end he says for the eye is the lamp of the body If your eyes are good, the whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. They will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is speaking to what are we focusing on and prioritizing in our lives. Are we focused on the investment of earthly stuff? Or are we focused on investing in the goodness and the purpose of God that he has for us? That's why he starts by saying, if the eyes are bad, darkness comes in, right? Like, think about it this way. Um, If you're in an arena or if we were just in this room and and there were uh, shades that were down and it was pitch black in here and one person lit the smallest little light, we would all be able to see that light, even if you're in a gigantic arena. Why? Because light overcomes darkness. It's no longer completely dark. There's light there. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you're a follower of mine, and if you keep your eyes and your heart on the heavenly things that I have for you, the eternal things, he's saying, then there will be no room for anything else. You'll be filled with the light that I have for you. Jesus is speaking of the duality of our heart, or what I like to call the spiritual splits. You know, it's like, well, yeah, I follow Jesus. I go to church on Sundays. I also still like to do that other stuff, and I pursue this and this, and pretty soon it's uncomfortable. And you've got to make a decision. The concept that we're talking about is idolatry. Jesus cares about the heart. He's saying, I'm not going to compete with anything else in your heart. If you are a follower of mine, if you've received by the grace of God this new life in me, you've surrendered lordship, that idea of lordship, meaning that he is ruler of my whole life. And again, there's a tug of war, and I'm really good about trying to pull stuff back that I've already surrendered. But that's why I need to keep my heart and my eyes focused on the eternal stuff, because that's when it becomes easier to surrender it to Jesus. I think of, and I don't have this up on the screen, but I think of the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 13. It's a really short parable. It says, the kingdom of heaven... Is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy, he went out and sold everything he had and bought the field. Jesus is saying the treasure in the field—that's salvation. You don't deserve it. You just happened to be uh, blessed to find it, but it's worth every bit of your life. Again, that cost. It says, "Now go out and get rid of everything, because now we live for Him." Buy the field. Don't like visit the field sometimes on Sundays. By the field, live into the fullness of what God has for you by surrendering your life to Him because nothing else, according to Jesus will satisfy us, nothing else will fill us the way that He will and I know this is a countercultural idea, and please don 't uh, mishear me because in the world we live in, we say uh Work hard to get what you deserve, right? Or, 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 or work hard and and shoot for the stars and live out the American dream. And, and again, I don't think in and of those, uh, in and of themselves, those things, the the earthly things, are all bad. But I also think the other extreme is that people think, well, God must hate all that stuff. No, 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 no. I think that God is the giver of all good gifts. And I think God wants us to work hard and work to the best of our ability, but what he's saying is don't make it the focus of your heart. At what expense are you giving into these things? They're good gifts from God, but they're not ours to keep. They're ours to steward. Stewardship. The, the picture that comes to my head when I think of stewardship is just open hands. It's, it's God saying, I have gifted you with with tools on earth, sure. Some people, I've, I've given you this great job and you've worked hard and, and you're, you're, you've got earthly treasure. That's awesome. Use it for eternal things. Or maybe you've got these abilities and these talents and these, these gifts and these things. And, and God the don't like hoard those things and act like, well, I'm really, really good. He's saying keep an open hand, steward those things well. We are simply managers of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And when we have that attitude and that understanding, it's much easier to invest in the things that are eternal, the things that truly have a return. And again, I know in Santa Cruz, it's it's, talking about earthly treasures and finances especially, you're like, man, it's expensive to live here. I don't have much. And and I I totally hear you. It's tough. But the, the cool thing is God's not saying, I need this amount from you. Because it's not about the money, it's about the heart. What God's saying is, are you willing to hold it with an open hand and invest it in the things that truly matter? Or are you trying to keep it for yourself? And the idea of this is we don't just have, it's not just money that I'm talking about. So what is it that I have to invest? Well, we'll start there. Treasures. Earthly treasures, meaning finances, meaning stuff. And again, it's important to remember God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. I think of the woman who Jesus saw in the temple when she gave the two copper coins. And then the wealthy people who went up and gave much more than the other woman. And Jesus told his disciples, that woman gave more than everyone. Why? Not because he doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart which she gave with. She gave out of the lack of what she had because she was devoted to things that are eternal. He cares about our hearts. So the good thought for us is how are we using our finances or our material things? Are we investing in the kingdom stuff or are we spending on myself? You can support, uh, it, it's why the church, the local church, like here, CLC, it's why the, the, the church operates because of the support and the gifts of you, the members, and the people who call this your church family, your church home. And you're doing it not because you're obligated to. I hope not. You're not obligated to. You're doing it because you love the Lord and you you believe in the things that God is up to here. It's an exciting season, from my best understanding, from an outsider looking at CLC. This is an exciting season. God is up to cool things, and you are a part of it. Yeah, amen. God is moving, and you guys are getting to invest in this local church. It's awesome. But maybe it even goes beyond that. Maybe you support a a missionary somewhere. Maybe you've done that for a long time. That's investing in eternal things. You're investing in helping. Maybe it's... Homeless community programs are things that you give stuff to. That's investing in eternal things. You're loving people and investing in their lives. You're shining Jesus' love and light into a world that desperately needs it. And it is going to cost It's hard sometimes. But God wants us to do it with a joyful heart. He wants us to say, God, this isn't easy, but I'm doing it because I love you. And you love me first. And I'm just responding because I know I live for you now, no longer for me. The second thing that we have to invest, we have time. We have time. Time is so important. It's the only resource you can't earn more of. You can't get more time. Once it's gone, it's gone. So how are we using it? Are we investing it? into the kingdom stuff around us, or are we spending it on us? And as I'm saying this, please hear me, church, as I was preparing this, I'm convicted by this thought. This is all part of the process that we all, as followers of Jesus, wrestle through. And and each day I have to come back and be like, how am I using my time and my treasures? Is it being spent on me? Am I being selfish? Because we have a God who modeled the opposite. Jesus, in Mark 10:45 it says, for the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave everything. But that's hard to do, because we live in a culture that says self-care is what it's all about. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Self-care, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself spiritually and emotionally and mentally. I'm all for that, really. I really think that's an important thing. But if self-care is in place of others' care, I think we're missing it. And that's the trend that, at least from my perspective, I'm seeing people just using self-care as an excuse to never serve or give time to anyone else. Well, I need this for me. I just need some alone time. It's like, yeah, but that person needs you. So are you investing your time in them? As a matter of fact, I think the way God made us and the way God wired us, I think the best form of self-care is others' care, is loving the neighbor around you. Loving the people next to you. We all know that it feels really good to give a gift, better than receiving a gift, right? That's not by accident. God made us to be filled up when we are sacrificing and serving for those others around us. And the last one's our talents your, your, your spiritual gifts. God is gifted everyone who has the Spirit of God living in them has a spiritual gift that is supposed to edify and build the local church, right? To encourage one another and bless each other and, and, and help minister to the world uh, around us, but also even just your passions and your talents and your abilities. Being able to use those things to love the people around you and to love God by doing work projects that maybe someone has no idea how to even do that thing. That's sacrificing your time and your talent. Are we investing? You know, in our young adult ministry, one of our core values, we always say, is sacrifice. And it's always funny to watch how people respond when you first say that. Yeah, we value sacrifice. And they're like, what did I get into? It's like not, not like Old Testament sacrifice. But we live in a culture that's constantly saying, what do I get? What do I get from that friendship? What do I get out of that job? What do I get out of that class? What do I get? 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 What if we started asking, what do I offer? What am I bringing? What am I bringing today? What if we just had that perspective? What if everyone in the church, followers of Jesus, we just constantly are saying, what am I offering here? In this situation, what am I offering? Maybe sometimes you're just offering a listening ear. That's a good way to invest your time. And maybe your, your talent. Some of you, some of you are just really good listeners. I'm not always the greatest listener. Ask my wife. But you can invest those things by asking God, what do you want me to do here? What am I offering here? Guide me in this. And again, if we treat those things, our time, our talents, our treasures, if we treat all of that stuff as gifts, like my breath every day, that's a gift. And it's going to be a whole lot easier to have open hands and give stuff away, right? It's like the $20 I took from Al to start a service, right? Some of you, if you're being honest, you were thinking, what's he going to do with that 20 bucks? He just pocketed that. What kind of a guest speaker is this? He just robbed... A... You know who is the least concerned about the $20? Al. Because Al knows it was never his to begin with. I gave it to him before the service, and I said, give this to me when I ask. So Al had no problem saying, yeah, here you go. Oh, he was really quick to volunteer, because he knew it wasn't his. What if everything in our lives we treated that way? It's not mine to hoard. It's not mine to own. It's not mine to keep. It's mine to use for kingdom stuff. I'm going to give it all away. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing to here is he's saying, I want your whole heart. I want you to be people who are generous with all the gifts. He's not against money. People misquote that all the time. Oh, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. It says the love of money because it's about the heart. You're dividing your heart. God is concerned with the heart. And for some reason in our culture and in our day, we continue to think that if I get more stuff, if I can get more for me and what do I get out of this, it's going to somehow satisfy us. And it's just not true. And it's been disproven over and over and over again by celebrities and and athletes and all those. I think of Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, I think, recently became a believer, I think, from a testimony I saw on YouTube, which would be awesome but this was from years ago, before he ever made any uh, uh, claim about faith. But he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it isn't the answer. And that's coming from someone who got everything he ever dreamed of and was rich and had all the stuff, all the earthly stuff, but he realized the teaching of Jesus that it fades. And the coolest part about this whole thing is Jesus is not just asking us to invest in Him. Or in kingdom stuff. He's, He first invested everything in us. Right? Scripture says He first loved us. Jesus came to earth. That was a sacrifice. God of all creation came down to earth. Sacrificially. Then He went, He lived a life that we couldn't live. Sin free. Resisting temptation standing strong and firm in, in, in the Father. And then he went to the cross and he died a death that he did not deserve, but we did. Knowing again that some would receive and some would reject. But he did it anyways because he said, I'm going I'm to invest it all in them. He loves you. If you're here and you didn't know that, we have a God who is so good and so gracious and loves you again right where you're at. And if you start to walk with him, He will change you slowly. It's called sanctification. He'll start to change us from the inside out and we'll start to see the world different, be challenged by different things. And it's all a process that's good for us as the church. And so I want to leave you guys with just that simple question. I think it's good for us to take inventory sometime today to just ask yourself, are you investing your life or are you spending it? Just think about that. Am I investing my life in things that have eternal reward and, and, uh, and, and payoff? Or am I spending it all on temporary stuff that's not gonna last? Because if we invest our time, talents, and treasures towards godly things, we will not be divided in our hearts. We'll be serving one master, and that has eternal reward and payoff for you, but also for the people around you. Because God is at work. Through you, church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity again. I thank you that we get to gather as your church and sing praises to you and open up your word. God, uh, I know this topic of, man, how we're, how we're spending and investing our stuff and our earthly wealth and all these different things can be a tricky one. God, my prayer, my hope. Is that people would make sure to understand that you are concerned with the heart. You don't need our money. You don't need our stuff. You don't need us at all, but you choose to invite us in to what you're up to. And we can use those gifts, hold them with open hands, and use them to further invest in kingdom things, God, things that will be a blessing to our neighbors things that can change lives by the power of your spirit because of our obedience to you and how we uh, steward those things. And so may we all, God, this morning, just take inventory of where we're at. And may you guide us to how you want us to use the gifts that you've entrusted us with. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.